Well, um, I thought I'd uh, start today by uh, sharing some uh, fun fruit facts. Say that three times fast. Uh, I know these are, I mean, these are just going to amaze you and uh, your life will never be the same knowing these things. Uh, For instance, did you know this about apples? Apple trees can grow as tall as 40 feet. I didn't realize that. The U.S. crop of apples annually is about 4.4 million metric tons. I think that's a lot of apples. Uh, some orange trees. Did you know that uh, orange trees were first grown in China before they came to America? Uh, did you know that uh, British sailors used to be given lime juice? Maybe you learned this in history when they got a disease or to prevent getting a disease called scurvy. And that's why British sailors are now called limeys. Did you know about bananas? Bananas globally are the fourth uh, highest consumed food by humans. We eat almost more bananas than almost anything else. I also learned that uh, there are a hundred varieties of bananas, and some even have red skin. I didn't know that, never seen those. Did you know that uh, the name for pineapple, the name pineapple, was actually the original name of, name of what we call a pine cone? But later those kind of changed names, but originally uh, pineapple meant pine cone. And did you know that olive trees can live to be as old as 1,500 years? Now, I want to know who's been around to actually measure that, you know? Who actually planted it and was there 1,500 years later? Well, I want to talk about uh, fruit today. Uh, Not the kind of fruit that grows on a tree or on a vine, but I want to talk about the kind of fruit that grows in people's hearts. We've uh, been exploring the book of Galatians, and right in the midst of that book, Paul, who was a leader in the early church, in this letter that he has written to people just like us who lived in the city of Galatia, just in the middle of that letter, he talks about this fruit. He talks about these character qualities that can develop in our lives as a result of being connected to Jesus Christ. Uh, As you know, we've been exploring the question for the past few weeks, how does God's system of law and order work? And uh, we've noted along the way that uh, some people think God's system of law and order is a lot like the American justice system. If I do the things I'm supposed to do and I don't do the things I'm not supposed to do, then I, you know, I stay out of trouble. I stay out of jail or in God's case, I stay out of hell. But as we've been discovering, God's system of law and order is quite different, isn't it? God's system of law and order is not based on my performance. God's system of law and order is based on the performance of Jesus Christ and what he has already done for us when he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and to redeem us. We've also said that God's system of law and order is not based on my ability to do enough good because I never will. God's system of law and order is based on the idea that I simply have to be willing to put my trust in Jesus Christ. Today I want us to move on into chapter 5 of the book of Galatians and here we're going to look at what Paul has to say about developing this fruit in our lives. How do we develop these spiritual character qualities in our lives that he writes about? And he's going to point us to the fact that it's all about who we allow to lead our life. So let's uh, jump in. Hopefully, again, you brought your Bibles with you and we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the scriptures will come up on the side screens. Now, at the beginning of this book, Paul, again, has uh, this chapter. He's been talking about the whole idea that our obedience to the law doesn't earn us God's salvation or grace. And uh, once again, he's reminded us that it's about putting our faith in Jesus. And then he writes this in verse 16. 
He says, so I say, live by the Spirit. And he's talking about the, the Holy Spirit. It's part of the, what would be referred to as the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus Christ, His Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, when He left earth, said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to, to be your guide, to be your counselor. And so that's who Paul's talking about. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. We have within all of us this sinful nature that is the thing that prompts us sometimes and pushes us to do things that are, that are wrong, that are sin. Paul says, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul says there is this, this war, this conflict that goes on inside of all of us. And we've experienced it probably in our lives. And you probably remember in the old cartoons, they used to kind of depict this idea. They'd show an angel or something on one side and this devil-like being on the other side and the angel would tell you to do good and the devil would tell you to do wrong. And there was this battle that went on between them. And not exactly to that standard, but they were right in some ways that there is this internal civil war that goes on between what the Spirit is guiding us to do and what our sinful nature sometimes desires. And Paul says, this battle goes on. You need to recognize it. Then he goes on to say this. He says in verse 19, the acts, or that word really can be translated the, the works, and that's a familiar word that Paul keeps coming back to because he keeps saying it's not about your works. It's not about what you do. It's about placing your faith in Jesus. He says the acts or the works of the sinful nature are obvious. And then he lists really like three categories of sins here. The first we might call the, the sensual or the sexual sins. He says sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Those sins, sex that we're involved of outside of the marriage relationship. And then he lists a couple of sins that we might call the religious sins. He talks about idolatry and witchcraft. It's about putting other gods or other things in our lives as a higher priority than God. And then he lists off what we might call the social sins. He says hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage or anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. He says, those are all a result of us allowing our sinful nature to win the war that goes on with, on the inside of us. Then he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you catch that? Paul says, if we let our sinful nature win this war that goes on within us, we don't inherit the kingdom of God. But then he gives us the flip side. What can happen when we let the Spirit lead our lives? In verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, these fruit of the Spirit don't come into our lives as a result of obeying the law. They come as a result of having trusted Jesus to lead our life and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us. Our uh, staff, some of us, uh, just made a trip to Atlanta this week uh, for a conference. And uh, there were several of us gone, so we all piled in the van and did the road trip thing, and it was a lot of fun. I was reminded as we uh, 
We're driving on 75. You know, near the state line, there are agricultural inspection stations. And you are required, if you're uh, in a truck and you're carrying some kind of produce or animals, to pull in there and allow them to inspect the produce or to inspect, if it was fruit, to inspect it. So for a moment today, I'd like us to kind of pull our lives over to the side of the road and kind of do an inspection of the fruit of our lives and kind of see how we're doing at living out these character qualities that Paul lists here that come as a result of being led by the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if you've got a blank sheet of paper somewhere or take out your weekly update and make some use out of that and to find a blank space on there, there are nine of these and I want you to sort of grade yourself on each one of them. So maybe you want to go ahead and write down one through nine. And here's the scale that we're going to use. When we read each of these, S would, would equal the idea that I'm superior in this dimension. I, I've got this one down. Uh, the P would be somewhere in the middle for uh, I'm pretty darn good, but I'm not perfect about it. Uh, the N would mean it needs improvement. I need to work on this area. So let's we'll see how you do. Let's, let's go through these. Number one, love. How tender is your heart towards God and towards other people? Do you find yourself habitually engaging in acts of servanthood? Do you ever have a critical, judgmental spirit in your heart? How you doing on that? S, P, N, mark something down. Number two, joy. What is your current irritability factor? If you're not sure, you probably could ask the person next to you if they came to church with you today and they'll, they'll probably let you know. Are you more inclined to speak words of complaint or gratitude? How often did you laugh this week? How much fun did you have? Are you able to choose joy in moments of frustration? How you doing on that one? Number three is peace. To what degree are your heart and mind at rest in God? How consistently are you troubled or anxious? Would people who know you describe you as being contented or discontented? How are you doing on peace? Number four is patience. How do you respond when you don't get your way or you're frustrated? Are you able to wait gracefully? How do you, do you handle it when people aren't moving as quickly as you would like them? Yeah, how are you doing on that one? Number five is kindness. How inclined are you to lead some, lend someone a helping hand even though you're busy or you know you won't get the credit? How are you at encouraging and affirming people? Do you consistently take time to, to notice people and to listen to them? How are you doing with kindness? Number six is generosity. What portion of your time and material resources are you actually giving? Not just thinking about giving, but actually giving to God, to the poor, to other people. Do you ever find yourself wanting to give just the least amount that would be acceptable? Is your heart to give growing or shrinking? Number seven, faithfulness. Would people around you say that you are dependable? When you say you're going to do something, does it get done? Do you ever wrestle with procrastination? Number eight, gentleness. How successfully do you speak the truth with grace? Do you ever get angry and inflict pain on someone just because it feels good in the moment? Number nine, self-control. Have any bad habits? Ever give in to impulses? How's your mouth doing these days? How are you doing at self-control? Well, let me ask you one more question. And for this one, you don't have to write anything down. But I wonder, when you hear that list of character qualities, the fruit of the Spirit, 
Does it make you feel a little inadequate? Yeah, it, it does me. It's almost overwhelming because I have this tendency to think, well, I have to develop all of those myself. You see, Paul indicates that these are this fruit or these character qualities ought to be in the life of someone who's following Jesus. They ought to be prevalent in the life of someone whose life is growing spiritually mature. Now, when we think about spiritual maturity, a lot of people want to define spiritual maturity as they're involved in a lot of church activities, and that equals spiritual maturity. Or they would describe spiritual maturity as knowing a lot about the Bible. Or they would uh, judge their spiritual maturity by how many spiritual accomplishments they have piled up. Paul says that's not the definition of spiritual maturity. He says these character qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, those kinds of character qualities, those define spiritual maturity. And if those are present in our life, then we're hitting the target. We're on the mark. That's the kind of people we want to be. But honestly, when I look at myself sometimes, these, spirit, these character qualities aren't what I'd like them to be. And so maybe like you, you wonder, so how do, I, how do I develop these? How do I make these a part of my life? And I think Paul gives us the answer in verse 24. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passion and desires. They have, they have, got, they have put to death the sinful nature and not allowed it to lead their life anymore. And he goes on to say, since we live by the Spirit, or I think that could be translated, since we walk with the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says the way that the fruit of the Spirit are developed in our life is not by us trying to develop them. They are developed by us allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us, by us walking with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus taught something very similar over in John chapter 15. He was teaching His followers one day and they were discussing an issue like this. And I want you to listen to what Jesus taught and listen to how often the same word or phrase is repeated as He teaches here. John chapter 15, verse 4 says, Remain in Me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, though, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in me, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourself to be My disciples. Jesus says, you want to produce fruit? Then the way that it happens is by remaining in Me. That's the phrase that's repeated over and over there again, isn't it? As long as we remain in Him. It actually can be translated, there's an older translation, abide in Me. As long as we remain attached to the vine. That's when fruit gets produced in our lives. When we unattach ourselves from the vine, Jesus says, no fruit will be produced then. But as long as you remain attached, fruit will be produced and people will know that you're My follower. 
that you're my disciple. If I abide in Him, the fruit will come. I won't be able to stop it. The change will happen. The transformation will take place. But if I become unattached to the vine, there will be no change. There will be no transformation because I cannot do it on my own. Sound familiar? It's Paul's reoccurring theme throughout this book, isn't it? But I can't do it myself. It is something that God does in me as long as I stay attached. I don't earn my salvation. I get it by simply placing my trust in Jesus. And I don't develop these character qualities on my own. I get them by staying attached to Jesus. By staying attached to the vine, as he called it. There's another thing that would be good for all of us to recognize in this. Often in churches, people talk about the fruits of the Spirit, plural. Because we see these nine attributes listed there and we think that we need to add all nine attributes ourselves to our portfolio of character attributes. But notice Paul describes it in the singular. He describes it as fruit of the Spirit. Again, indicating the idea that it is not something that I add to my portfolio myself, but it is something that comes as a result of my life being guided, being led by Jesus by remaining in Him. And He develops this fruit in me as a result of my relationship with Him. Do you know what the most frequent promise in the Bible is? The most frequent promise in the Bible is not that God will forgive us of our sins. Although that's a great promise that is there and it is precious to us. The most prevalent promise in the Bible isn't that we are promised eternal life, although that is important and we cling to that hope. No, the most frequent promise in the Bible is God simply saying, I will be with you. I'll be with you. A lot of you might have grown up in church and you learned Psalm 23 that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you, God, are with me. The Bible says that God was with Adam and Eve. He was with Enoch. In fact, the Bible says Enoch walked with God. God was with Moses and He was with Abraham and He was with Noah and He was with Mary and He was with Paul. In fact, when Jesus came, what name did God give Him? He gave Him the name Emmanuel, which meant God with us. And now Jesus says, as He left this earth, now it's your turn. You get to have God with you. See, the primary story of the Bible is not about people's desire to be with God. The primary story of the Bible is about God's desire to be with us. And Jesus is saying, now that you have the Holy Spirit, who is a gift to every Christ follower, who comes to you simply by placing your trust in Jesus, now that you have the Holy Spirit, you can talk to me anytime. It doesn't matter what you're doing or what's going on. And, and I will talk to you through the Holy Spirit. If you'll listen to His promptings and to His teaching in your heart, I want to be with you. I think that maybe there are two pictures that can help us get our minds around the idea that God desires to be with us. And how that works. One is the Sistine Chapel. This incredible painting by Michelangelo on the, on the ceiling of the chapel there depicts God. And everything about the way that Michelangelo painted this demonstrates God's desire to reach out to man, to be with man. And the way that He shows His arm, muscles taut, reaching out towards man. His gaze is clearly focused on man. Everything about this painting, God is reaching out to men. Adam, on the other hand, who's depicted there, is laying there kind of ambivalent. 
rather laid back. Not that he's resisting God, but he's not really reaching out either. And a lot of times in our lives, it's easy to picture God this way, isn't it? We can see him reaching out, desiring to be with us. There's another image that I think maybe sort of also describes our, how we see God with us at times. It's the book Waldo. If you have children, you're familiar with these books. Where is Waldo? I guess like 40 million copies of Waldo has been sold. And if you're familiar with these, you know that the character Waldo is on every page of the book. But on a lot of the pages, it's difficult to find him. It's not real obvious that he's there. He's kind of hidden away. In fact, it takes a lot of practice, a lot of patience, a lot of discernment to find him. And sometimes in that process of searching to find him on the page, it gets kind of confusing. You get it distracted. You have trouble recognizing that he's there. Sometimes we have Sistine Chapel days in life where something happens and it is just so obvious to us. God is right there in the midst of that. And other days in our lives, we have Where's Waldo days where stuff is going on and we think, where is God in this? I don't see Him. I can't find Him in this. But he, He's there. He is there. If we'll be patient enough and careful enough to search for Him and to listen for Him. I think those images help us maybe get our minds around this idea that God is with us. You know what? If you have placed your trust in Jesus, let's be clear about this. If you have placed your trust in Jesus, you don't have to do something to be attached to the vine. By simply placing your trust in Jesus, you are attached to the vine. You are there So you know what? You need to just live life as you normally would, but recognize Jesus' presence in your life. He is there. As long as you remain in Him, as long as you abide in Him, He is with us throughout our our entire day. Think of it this way. Suppose tomorrow morning you get up. And I don't know if waking up in the morning is a happy thing for you or if you're, you know, brother, you could just sleep for hours and hours. But regardless, when you wake up tomorrow morning, as you lift your head from the pillow, just be reminded and maybe even say out loud, Jesus, thank You that You're here. Thank You for Your presence. I'd encourage you to start the day by doing something that that is a reminder for the whole day of Jesus' presence in your life. Take your Bible out and, and read a few verses. Spend a couple of minutes just praying, talking to God. Maybe go outside and, and watch the sun as it rises. And in those moments, just be reminded of God's love for you, but also be reminded of His presence in your life. When you get in the car to drive to work tomorrow, remember Jesus is with you in the car. He's a passenger. That may affect the speed at which you drive. Maybe it will affect the way that you respond to other drivers in the midst of the traffic. Just be reminded He's in the car. Parents, maybe it will affect the way that you talk to your children in the car. If you don't be quiet, I'm coming back to now. When you get to work, remember His presence at work. When you walk in and you see your desk loaded with all of that work that needs to be accomplished, just be reminded of Jesus' presence and ask for His help in accomplishing it. And His presence at work, maybe it will impact the way that you respond to other co-workers or respond to your boss or interact with people throughout the day. When you drive back home tomorrow night and you have that moment before you go into the house and that whole sort of re-entry process, pause in the car for just a moment and recognize His presence And let that impact the way that you respond to your family. And tomorrow night when you lay your head down on the pillow, think back over the day and be reminded that every step of the way, Jesus 
was there. His presence was there in your life. Let me say one other thing about that experiment. When you fail, and all of us fail at the abiding experiment, all of us fail at moments to recognize Jesus' presence. When you do, remember that in the very next moment, you can reattach yourself to the vine. You can begin again to abide and to remain in Him in that very next moment. A couple of summers ago, our family uh, took a vacation to Hawaii to celebrate my in-laws' uh, 50th wedding anniversary. And while we were there, Matt decided he would uh, try to take some surfing lessons. And actually, I was amazed he did really well at it and got up quite a few times and actually surfed around a little bit. But you know, whether he actually got up each time or whether he failed to get up, it didn't matter because you know what would happen after he rode that wave? There'd be another one. And then there'd be another one. And so it didn't matter whether he failed or whether he was successful. There was another wave. And they just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And when you fail in life, and there will be times that all of us fail in life, be reminded that there is another moment coming. That is another opportunity to be attached to the vine. To remain in Jesus. To experience God's love. You know what that's called? It's called grace. And it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming from God. Jesus, as He was teaching here about the vine, He said, as the Father has loved Me, in the same way, I want you to know, I love you. And He said, because I love you, I want to invite you to abide with Me, to remain in Me, to be attached to Me. Right now, He said, right in this moment, you can be attached to Me. And as you remain in Me, Jesus said, watch the fruit grow. And the promise that He made then to His followers is the same today. He invites all of us. As long as you remain in Me, as long as you stay attached to the vine, as long as you recognize My presence in your life and you allow Me to lead, then watch the fruit grow in your life. Let's pray together. God, I thank You for Your desire to be in relationship with us. And God, I thank You for the promise that as long as we remain in You, the fruit in our lives will grow. So God, I ask You today, for my life and for all of our lives, that You would do some things this week to remind us of Your presence, to make Your presence very evident to us. And God, that as our awareness of Your presence in our lives grows, we can't wait to see how that fruit grows in our hearts and in our lives. Thank You for Your promise and Your desire to be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.